How are you guys doing for Christmas? You guys ready? Almost ready? <laughs> you know, uh, Trinity asked me something, uh, it was this week actually, that uh, really blessed me. And, you know, with all the, you know, all the churning, all the activity that's surrounding Christmas, and this is what she asked me. She says, Daddy, this year, like, because, you know, I, I'm always, like, teaching them about, you know, the, the wise men coming, actually, you know, reading from Luke and all that, and just and kind of going through everything that's going on uh, in the Christmas story. But she said, this year, on Christmas morning, when we open up our presents, could you do a Bible study? And I was like, you know what? I said, sweetheart, if it's all at all within my control, yes, I will absolutely do. And even if I just have to do it with just her and like pull her aside and maybe Sarah and Livy or something with like that, it's like, you know what? What a neat request. Yeah, she hasn't asked me for any toys. She hasn't asked me for anything like that. But what she asked me for is, Daddy, could you please do a Bible study on Christmas morning? And I'm like, Wow. You know, what a great statement. What a great uh, mindset in a, in a holiday which very easily, unfortunately by the world, has become a holiday of me, 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 me. And, you know, we, we talked about on Halloween how the kids went out and they did the reverse trick-or-treating and they're, you know, they're giving away things. They're going, going to door-to-door, knocking on the houses, and instead of saying trick-or-treat, they're giving away uh, things that they had made, little crafts that they had made. And people were just like, you, wanna give, you, you don't know how many times you hear, you want to give me something? Because it stands in such contradiction to what the holiday represents. So, you know, the holiday is people knock on the door and say, you know, give me food, give me food, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And the people who don't want to give anything turn off their lights and hide in their house and pretend they're not home. <laughs> right? And so, you know, when you, you kind of have this contrast. And then Christmas, which is supposed to be about the birth of Jesus Christ, has also become by... Uh, you know, Macy's and Target and Walmart and all these guys, it's not their fault. You know, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're trying to sell things. And, but within the church, even the meaning of Christmas has become very similar to that of Halloween. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. This is what I want. Here's my Christmas list. This is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I hope for. And all these kind of things. And it really touched me that Trinity hasn't asked me for anything yet. But she asked me, Daddy, can you please teach a Bible study on Christmas morning? And I said, you know what, sweetheart? Yeah, yeah, we're definitely going gonna to do a Bible study on Christmas morning. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. And that actually, it, it, it's kind of my segue into what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, this morning, we have a plea for purity. We have a, the, the Apostle Paul is crying out from some 1,900 years plus ago. He's calling out. He was, he was speaking to the Thessalonian church, but he was also calling through the ages to us right now. It's as if he's got a mic he's plugged in too, and it's coming through here, and he's begging. He's begging, literally, and we'll see it. He's literally begging and also commanding at the same time. It's kind of an interesting uh, position where he's literally begging on one hand but commanding on the other hand that we live lives that are pleasing to God. And that's really what we're going to be talking about this morning is pleasing God. Because, again, you know, Halloween, Thanksgiving, it's all about the food. It's, yeah, we're getting together. Have a good time. And it, 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 it's so easy to get caught up in the me of it all. And we forget that it's not about me. It's about him. 
Thanksgiving is a holiday where we're supposed to be thankful to the one who provided so much for us. Christmas is a time where we celebrate God becoming man, condescending from on high to this place that he might suffer and die for us, that we might have life. Isn't that amazing? And so I'm actually going to start in verse 11 of chapter 3 just for a second because this was a prayer that um, I I concluded uh, the service uh, last week with. And I I just want to read this and kind of go forward from it. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Paul is desiring to be with them. He said, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Finally, then, brethren, chapter four, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments uh, we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion or lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. I don't know if you guys caught it, but one of the reasons why I wanted to start back at verse 11, even though uh, we read that already, is notice what he's saying. It actually happens three different times just in the short uh, section of scripture. He says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound to love one another increase and abound and then he says in chapter one of verse four he says uh in the lord jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us and then in verse i think it's 10 it says uh but we urge you brethren that you increase more and more do you see this it's kind of, it's crescendoing. He's saying, he's urging, he's pleading, he's commanding. He's saying, abound, increase, more, 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 higher, deeper, further in, keep going. What is he talking about? What, what is it that he's asking us to abound in? That word abound literally means if, if you, just to have a picture, say you take a, a glass of water, right? You got your ice cubes in there and everything, and you take a pitcher of water, which is much bigger, and you start pouring it in there, and it's filling up, it's filling up, it's filling up. You're abounding, you're abounding, you're going. But it actually means to overflow, right? So now as the water's being poured in, you know, the pitcher can obviously hold a lot more than the cup can. And as it reaches its capacity, all of a sudden it begins to spill over. The ice starts falling out. And 
that's just the abound. But then he says more and more. So it's like it's a it's it's adding, it's multiplying that abounding, it's multiplying the overflowing. So you know we dump the whole pitcher in there, and it's not enough. So then we come over, we get the garden hose, and we turn the garden hose on, and we pour into it, and it begins to overflow, like really overflow. Maybe knocks the cup over, and the water is literally just spilling out everywhere. That's what this means. He's saying abound more and more, increase and abound. He said, um, increase more and more. See, those three different times he's saying it. And notice he says it three different times. That illustration I just gave you was just for the one. Right? So we start with that. We start with the, the pitcher of water filling the cup and overflowing. And then the garden hose. And that's pouring over. But then he says it again. So you need like a second hose or something to pour it on there. And then he says it again. So now imagine you go, okay, I don't have a hose big enough. So you go over to the fire hydrant, take that, put your hose on that and turn it on. He's asking us, he says, guys, you have to live an abundant life, right? We don't become Christians. We're not given the gift of the Holy Spirit so we can live lives that are kind of like, you know, well, I'm kind of existing. I'm kind of here. I'm, I'm kind of a, a glass half full kind of person. No, 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 no. God doesn't want any half full Christians. He wants overflowing, abounding, increasing more and more. That's, pretty, that's a pretty bold call from, from Paul. And notice he's, uh, in verse 4 he says, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus. That urging and exhorting, it's, that's the, what I was talking about. That's the, the begging. That's the urging. He, he's begging us. He's pleading with the Thessalonian church. He's pleading with Orange County Christian Fellowship. He's pleading with us as individuals. He's begging us. But then he all, he's also exhorting. And an exhortation is something that's like, hey, you need to do this. It's a command. He's first, it's kind of an interesting position because he's begging us, please, please abound. Please grow. Please increase. Please overflow. But then he's saying, but I'm also exhorting you. You need to increase. You need to abound. Because if your cup is half full or half empty or even completely full, but just staying there, guess what? That has no effect on the outside world. Okay, so you know, we're living the Christian life and we're full. Oh, I feel great. I feel fantastic. But it never spills out. It never goes beyond you. It never goes beyond you. We have to live lives that are not about us and about our happiness and about our fullness. But Paul is begging and exhorting each one of us to live lives that are abounding. Why? Well, in uh, chapter 3 at the very end there, he says in verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at his coming. What's the effect of abounding? He, when we abound, in, it's, it's abounding in something specific. What is he asking us to abound in? Well, he says it a couple times in here, but in our love towards one another. He's asking us to abound, to overflow in our love for one another. Right? We can be half full. We can be completely empty. We can be half full. We can be completely full. But it's not until we begin to overflow that our life begins to touch and it begins to pour in to the people around us. And we're called to have this overflowing, abounding love in our brothers and sisters. Remember uh, when we started First uh, Thessalonians, how it was the, um, the work of faith, the labor of love, the patience of hope. Remember the labor of love? You know, it's giving your absolute 
utmost. It's giving, that, that word labor, literally, it's all of your strength. It's like picking up a 300-pound rock. Now, I could probably pick up a 300-pound something, but it would take absolute, I might have a hernia after at the end of it, but like I could pick it up and be like, Ugh! and it's that, that laboring, that word labor means to hold on to it until you're, until, it's not until like you feel weak, but literally until your muscles give out, until there is no strength left. That's what we're called to do, to labor in love for one another. That's the abounding love. That's the Holy Spirit pouring into us. So it's like the fire hydrant being poured into a little Dixie cup. So it's overflowing and just pouring out everywhere. And it's love that we are called to labor in. It's love that we're called to abound in. It's love that we're called to increase in. It's love that we're called to spill out into everyone that we meet and around us. And he says, well, I want to, actually, I want to, before I go there, I want to ask this question. What's the why behind the why? That's, that's a question that uh, Pastor Hector at, at Worship Generation, he asks at his work. What's the why be, behind the why? Why is Paul begging and exhorting us to abound in love? Right? That he may present us holy and blameless. Well, it's because of this. When you are full of the Lord, remember what the two greatest commandments are? You guys remember? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. On this hang all of the law and all of the prophets. When you love when your heart, when your being is full of love and not self-pity, not what I want, not what I need, but when your heart is overflowing with a love towards God and then how it spills out and it begins to love towards the people around us, our neighbors, then, well, number one, it drives out fear, right? Perfect love casts out all fear. We know that. But there's also a, a funny thing that happens. When you love somebody like that, when you are giving all of your strength until there is no strength left to love somebody, guess what? There's no room for me. What do I want? What am I feeling? What do I need? It's not there because you're pouring into them. Yo, your existence, your joy, your rapture, your pleasure begins to take place in pouring into them. Right? It, like for those of you who have kids, when you see your child and you give them a good gift and you see their, that little sparkle in their eye and they get all excited, that's your joy. Right, for Heidi and also for Jan, one of their love languages is giving gifts. They love to give gifts. And it's kind of hard on the pocketbook sometimes, but it's like I don't dare stop them because that's, that's a way that they express their love. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a filling. And, and you get joy, you derive pleasure from it. But when we're not abounding in love, when we're not laboring in love, and then all of a sudden it's like the, 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 our gaze turns from the people around us and it begins to be to turn inward and looking into what we want and what we need and guess what when we look at what we want and what we need the appetites of our body of our flesh are never satisfied they're like the grave the grave ever widens its mouth you know day after day second after second people are dying right now as we speak there's people in convalescent homes there's people at homes there's people in car accidents there's people across the world starving to death there's people everywhere around this world dying right now as we speak the grave continually opens up there's there's never you know it always has more room and, and the bible even said it, it expands to make room for everybody. Well, our wants, our needs, guess what? You will never be satisfied. If that is your pursuit, you will never be satisfied. Your flesh 
will never be satisfied with it. You can fill it. Now, how many of you guys have ever, like, really wanted something cool? Right? You really wanted something cool. And, like, maybe you were a kid. Maybe you're an adult. It happens all the time. Maybe it's a new car. Maybe, you know, for me, like a guitar or something like that. You know, maybe it's one of those things. And, like, you, you dreamed about it. You thought about it. You wanted it for a really long time. And then... Oh, rapture, that day finally came and you got it. And it's like, it was really exciting for about a week. A day. With my kids on Christmas, sometimes a few minutes until the next presents opened. Right? Oh, this is what I always wanted. Uh. And then they open the next present. <laughs> and they huck it. Right? That happens all the time. Because all of a sudden it's like, you know what? I've never, ever seen my kids on Christmas morning or on their birthday open up a gift and just go like, and it's like, oh, here's your next, I I don't even want it. I'm good. I'm full. I'm I'm satisfied. I don't need any more. This is exactly what, I've never seen that. And nor do I ever expect to see that. Do you know why? Because our appetites are never satisfied. Our fleshly appetites are never filled. It won't happen. Because when we turn the gaze on what we want, it's like we, you know, our heart, number one, it's deceitfully wicked above all things. That's what the Bible says, right? Who can know it? Lord, search me and know me. You know, you need to tell me, Lord, help me. But if we're constantly focused on this, number one, our cup will begin to empty. It won't be filled. It won't be overflowing, but it will empty because we'll begin to wallow in our self-pity and our self want because it's like oh i don't have this and oh i don't have this and oh i'm not happy oh i'm not experiencing the joys that i want you know these are what i want these are what i want and it and you'll just continue to empty 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 until the glass your glass is completely empty and if you stay there long enough you know like the sun if you've ever seen like what the the effect of sun on plastic just imagine your cup is sitting out there and eventually that plastic will get dry and brittle and then eventually it'll crack and then when you try to pour water into it again, it'll just be empty. And it'll just come, it'll, it won't hold water. And it'll just keep flowing out. Uh, part of my testimony, uh, when I was trying to break my wife's faith, and when I was just going through that whole thing of, you know, I, I kind of created my own gods and all that kind of stuff and made my own little religion. It was a spiritual buffet of all the different religions, a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of Islam, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, Eastern mysticism, you know, even a little bit of witchcraft and things like that. And I kind of just molded it all together and I took the parts I liked and got rid of the parts I didn't like and you know I, I fashioned my own little god and in that time I actually named what I began to feel inside because I, I, I considered myself the walking dead I didn't consider myself alive I knew I was dead inside and I, I, I actually named it the, the feeling that I felt I named it the emptiness it's the emptiness and there was nothing and it's like, you know, I'd feel moments of pleasure, moments of joy, and then it, it felt like there was like a black hole. And it's like, it was like, you know, the joy was light, and it just went, and it would just get sucked down. And when we are introverted, when we're looking at ourselves, and when we're looking at what we want, and what we have, and what, you know, the demands that we make, or, or maybe I'm being, you know, shorthanded on something, it's like, it's like our cup empties, 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 and then it becomes unable to hold that joy, that pleasure that we're seeking. And that's where I was. It was the emptiness. I considered myself the living dead. I knew I was dead. There was no joy. I, I, I would test myself. And I would, I would actually ask myself questions like, uh, if my parents died, would I be upset? No. If I died, am I afraid? No. 
If the, and, I, and I literally go through like horrific scenes in my mind to see like to tr- kind of like test myself. It's like, no, I'm dead. I have no life. And it's because I was just everything was about me It was what I wanted. And Paul's saying, no, he says, look towards others. He says, abound, overflow, increase more and more and more and more and more and more overflow in love towards one another. Because when we do this and we look up beyond our problems, when we look up beyond our circumstances, then we start loving other people and we start trying to help them. We try to fulfill their needs. We try to fulfill what what's missing and lacking in them. And guess what? That joy starts to come. That joy starts to build and our cup begins to fill. And maybe you were a dry cup, but you know what? If that's you to this today, if you have a dry, broken cup, then you know what? Pray unto the Lord. And guess what? You know what he did with me? I was still empty, but he, he took this cup away and he put a new cup down. He gave me a new cup. He gave me a new heart. And it started there and it was still empty for a little while. But then slowly, slowly it began to fill. And it began to fill. And it began to fill. And, it's like, and, and, and I started living for other people. I began living for my wife. I began you know, living for my children. I began living for other people. And it's like my cup, it filled, it filled, it filled. And guys, guess what? You know, I'm not to the fire hose yet. I want to be. You know, we're all works in progress. I'm not there yet. But you know what? I feel like I'm overflowing. You know, I don't care. You know, honestly, I don't need anything for Christmas. I already have everything. I have so much. Uh, uh, I, if I would have had time, I would have uh, kind of redid it for this year. But uh, one year, I actually, I made these cards for people. And they, um, they had little illustrations on the front of them. And on the back, they had information to different ministries, like Samaritan's Purse, to a food bank, to Sheepfold, to different things like that. And I said, when people would ask me what I wanted for Christmas, I would hand them this card and say, give to one of these places in my name. And then write down your experience, how that made you feel, and give that back to me. And that'll be my Christmas present. Do that for me, please. And you know what? That was the most fulfilling Christmas I'd ever have. It was amazing. Like, you know, people were, I think uh, that year, uh, an orphanage in, or it was a church. It was a church in Africa got windows by the money people donated for it. Uh, uh, it was an orphanage in South America, got a... Um, some kind of, I think it was an echocardiogram for their, to like do the heart rates and the blood pressure and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they got that Samaritan's purse. You know, there, there's, there's just a bunch of things. And it's like, I was just overjoyed looking at those cards, like reading it and like, and reading like how the people had said, like, you know, you know, I did this and it really, you know, it really blessed me to be able to do this. And thank you so much and all that. And they were thanking me for the present that they gave me. And it was amazing. It's like, I was just, I was so happy. I was overjoyed. I was overflowing. My mom actually gave me uh, a tree ornament that was a little church with uh, glass windows so like the light bulb from inside the thing would shine out. And I was like, you know what? That's worth more than any thing that you guys can get me or that you can get each other. And I would just challenge you guys. Are you abounding in that love? Are you overflowing? Are, is your gaze lifted up from yourselves and looking towards others? Looking towards your wife? looking towards your husband, looking to your family members, looking to the people you work with, looking to your community. Is your gaze up or is it still a my own little world? My own little world, uh, Matthew West, I think he's got that song out right now. My own little world, population me. Does that describe you this holiday season? Does that describe you this Christmas? Are you completely engrossed and concerned with only you and your little world? 
That's an important question, especially at this time of year, because it's so easy to do. It's so easy to do. But you know what? I, I love the lyrics in that song because then it says he, he actually finally looked up. You know, and the song is describing him looking up, and he sees a homeless woman, and he, and he rolls down the window, and he sees a person. He sees a human, not just a homeless person that he had just ignored before. And he sees a person for the first time, and he hands her a $5 bill, and he walks away, and he drives away, and he says, and my own little world just reached population two. And at the very end of the song, it says, when will we understand that our own little world is not about us at all? Our own little world's not about us. But what is our own little world about? Well, let's continue on. Verse 1, it still says, Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us. To what? How you ought to walk and to please God. Pleasing God should be our goal. Pleasing God. What makes God happy? What brings him pleasure? Not what, what, not what makes me fulfilled. Not what makes me happy. Because you know, Jesus, you know, he was our example. He even said, I have set before you an example. And what did Jesus do? He came. He is the king of glory. Right? He, you know, the, the heaven of heavens cannot contain his majesty. And yet, he condescends and becomes a baby in a manger. The God who literally ordered the universe can't, can't control his bowels. And needs to be changed when he goes to the bathroom. Do you understand that? Do you understand what that means? The God who holds every atom together, makes every proton and neutron together, that, that atomic glue that the scientists talk about, right? That they can't understand why they don't just repel away from each other, right? The God who holds those atoms together couldn't control his own bowels. He condescended from glory, but not to be hailed as a king and a conquering hero. No, to be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. A man who came not to be served, but to serve. Because Jesus, his life declared, like through a loudspeaker, abounding love. Our goal in life, this day, this week, this Christmas, this new year. Your resolution should be one thing. How can I please God? How can I please Him? You know, because we, we have all of our, our own little schemes. We have our own little plans of things that we're doing. And we think, we think it's okay and we think it's going to work. And we're, we're, we've got them all figured out. We've got all the angles just right. And guess what? Remember that, remember I told you how like that, that screen that, you know, the big screen in heaven, it's like, you know, what, 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 what would it be like if we were in the side of God always? And if God was in you know, our side all the time, like if there was that window, it's like a flat screen TV walking around with you. And what would happen if you could see that every day, you could see the throne room of God. Well, yeah, it would change how you acted, but also the realization that there actually is a camera pointed at us and we're center frame. And there is a big, huge jumbotron in heaven with every moment of every day looking right at us. And so literally all the, the chorus of angels, all of the dead saints, you know, the Lord himself are all looking at this jumbotron with us center stage and every thought, there's a narration, I'm sure, and every word we speak, every action we do is right there. And the question is, are we living lives to please God or are we living lives to please ourselves? It's an important question. Paul said, you know, the commandments, which I've given to you through Christ. What are Christ's commandments? 
If you love me, do what? Keep my commands. Abide in my Father's love. Abide in my love. How? Keep my commands. If you are my friend, you will keep my commands. You'll obey my commands. Jesus said it three times. Right? This is his last night. This is his, the passion night. He's saying, obey my commands. He says, and it's, it's not a hard commandment. It's not a grievous commandment. It's not, you know, whip yourself and walk on your knees, you know, up, you know, stone steps until your knees bleed. And don't, you know, like, don't make yourself, like, afflict yourself. He said, no, this is my commandment, that you love one another. Love one another. Just do that. Obey my commands. Love me. Love each other. Lay down your life. Take up your cross and follow me. What, what, what does that entail? That means denying yourself. The cross is something that murders the flesh. What did the cross do? It literally is designed to torture and murder the flesh. Jesus says, deny yourself. Stop looking at yourself. Why did Jesus go to the cross? It wasn't for himself. It was for other people. He said, deny yourself, first of all, daily. Pick up your cross, that thing which murders the flesh, and follow after me. Serve others. Don't serve yourself. And follow me. Finally, he says, uh, verse 3, he says, for this is the will of God. Now, uh, I, I joke around with Jared all the time, and also Becky, because they both went to Bible college, and... In Bible college, everybody is always asking. You have all these students, these, these real, they want to be serious and profound thinkers. And, and we're all there together and, and thinking and asking philosophical questions and biblical questions and theological questions. But the main one, the main one that everybody is always asking and wondering and seeking after really more than anything, trying to find, what is the will of God for my life? And they ask it like it's this great mystery, like it's really hard, that it's, it's something that is so profound, and yet you know, we can't quite reach it, we can't quite attain it, which is ridiculous. The will of God for our life is very easy to understand, and actually it's very easy to attain, and it's very easy to walk in. How do I walk in the will of God? Well, what was that? Obey his commands. Love God. Love your neighbor. Okay, and what did I tell you? The, the why behind the why? What happens when you're, when you're filled with love, when your heart is filled with love? You stop looking here, you start looking out, and then fear, self-pity, self-will, greediness, covetousness, lust, all these things are driven out because when you have a cup that's filling, like if you're trying to like put hot chocolate into a cup that's being overflowed by a uh, fire hydrant, guess what? How, how likely is it to get that hot cocoa in there? It ain't happening. It's going to be scattered across the floor like it was nothing, like the refuse that it is, right? And so all of these things, these things in us, these desires, these lusts, these flesh, these covetousness, as it, when we're abounding in love and as we're overflowing, when, we try to, when Satan's trying to shake that stuff in there, he's trying to throw the dirt, he's trying to throw the muck and the grime in there, guess what? It's getting spilled out on the ground. It ain't coming in. It ain't coming in. And so... The will of God for your life and for my life this morning, do you know what it is? Your sanctification. There's a big theological word. Do you guys know what sanctification means? Sanctification is set apart. It's to purify. It's to make holy. In the end, you, 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 want, you want a really good illustration in your mind of what sanctification is? It is a movement towards God. 
because the sinful man, the sinful mind cannot be in harmony with God. And so when we're self-willed, when we're looking for our own wants, our own needs, guess what? That is a move away from God. But when we are looking to love others and we're denying ourselves and we're taking up our cross and we're following after Jesus and we're abounding in love, then guess what? We're being the Holy Spirit within us. He's taking the word of God and he's using it to sanctify our hearts. And it is a movement towards God. And that's the will of God in our life, that we would move towards him. That we would be more and more like his son, that we would draw closer to him. By taking on his character, by his Holy Spirit moving and living within us. And, uh, and then finally, as part of that sanctification, it's his will for our lives that we would all learn how to possess our own vessels, our own bodies. Now, our body is the seat of the flesh. Right? But it's also the seat of the Spirit. There's that, there's that constant battle between our flesh and the Holy Spirit of God within us. But he's saying... God's will for your life is that you learn how to possess your own vessel in sanctification, that's that movement towards God, and honor. Think about honor, right? It's a righteousness. It's a holiness. It's a doing what is right even when nobody is watching, even when you could completely get away with it. It's no, there's something that's higher than me, and I will stick to this. I will stay to it because I know, because I know. He says, the will of God is that you would learn how to possess your own body, the seat of the flesh, this infected vessel. He said that you would learn how to possess it, that you would be able to, t- to take hold of it, to grasp it. That word to possess even means to like purchase, right? It, it, it's, that, it's that thing of like that you would learn how to take it to yourself, right? You would learn how to possess your own vessel, your own body in sanctification and honor. Not giving, not like the Gentiles, or uh, to, to speak in more like church terms, not to unbelievers, because they don't know God, right? They don't know God. They don't know how to possess their vessel in sanctification and honor. That doesn't mean anything to them. It's like me, 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 me. Why is my cup so empty? Me, 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 me. It's just I'm pouring, but there ain't nothing happening. I'm still empty. Me, more me, 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 me. Right? We're not to be like that. We're not to be like that, but we are, we're to hold ourselves, we're to learn how to to possess ourselves in purity and separation to God in dignity, right? And then verse 8, look down at verse 8, it says, therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Number one right there, there's like the nail in the coffin right there to our conscience, right? If we call upon the name of Jesus Christ, guess what we have within us? The mystery of all mysteries, the greatest event in history, God in us. The Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us. This is the almighty God who inhabits the heavens, right? The heavens of heavens can't contain him, right? That's God, his Holy Spirit in some radical mystery that I don't think we'll ever be able to understand until we're in heaven is dwelling within us. And we who have that, when we reject these things, when we refuse to look past our selfish desires, when we refuse to look past this, and we won't look out here, and we won't abound in love, then guess what? Then we are not rejecting the Apostle Paul. We're not rejecting his 
pleading to us. We're not rejecting his exhortation to us, but we are rejecting the very God who gave us life. We are rejecting the God who sent his Holy Spirit into these broken vessels. We are rejecting him. I have a great example of it in uh, in my devotions. Uh, I'm actually in Lamentations right now. Actually, I just finished it. But in Lamentations chapter 1, verse 9, this is 586 B.C., uh, this is when Nebuchadnezzar came, and it was the final. You know, there was three different sieges on Jerusalem, and the final one in 586 is when he literally just leveled it. He burned it, and he took every stone. Not, there was not one stone left. Everything was completely destroyed. And Jeremiah, who had begged and pleaded the people to repent of their idols, to repent of the things that, that they, were, they were refusing to let go of their, their idols, their sexual immoralities, uh, even just selling things on the Sabbath day. They, they refused. They absolutely refused. And this is, this is what he said, speaking about, uh, about Jerusalem and all of her people. It says, Her uncleanness is in her skirts. She did not consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. And she had no comforter. She did not consider her destiny, and so her collapse was awesome. We are in a journey. We're in a movement towards God. It's a sanctification. It happens the moment we give our hearts to Jesus. The Holy Spirit within us is sanctifying us. He begins moving within us, taking us towards God. But yet, we can reject it. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, and we can resist and, we can, and we're resisting God himself. And what we're doing is like, when we're doing that, it's like, you know, we're not considering our destiny. Because there is a destiny for every single man, woman, and child on this earth. There are two destinations. One is a place of darkness and grief. And then the other is a place of light and love and joy. And so when the, the people in, in Jeremiah's time who refused to repent. They refused, even though they heard good counsel again and again and again and again, and yet they were self-filled. They would not repent. They would not repent, and they continued on with their plan, with their agenda. They would not repent. The word of the Lord came to them, and they would not repent. And he says, Jeremiah, you know, his, as he's looking at this, he says, they did not consider their destiny. They did not understand that they were the people of God. They did not understand their God who loved them. They did not understand that the price that was coming was going to be severe. They had deceived themselves into believing that everything was fine. And these choices that we're making, our little idols and stuff like that, they're good. We're fine. They wouldn't do it. They rejected God, not man. They they didn't reject Jeremiah. They rejected God. When... When the children of Israel later uh, asked uh, Samuel to anoint Saul as king. They didn't say Saul. They just said, anoint us a king. And Samuel was so hurt. And he was so angry. And God said, do what they ask. He says, because they don't reject you, they reject me. Flash forward, 32 AD. Jesus coming in the triumphal entry. And he begins weeping over Jerusalem. Why? Why? Because you did not know the day of your visitation. How I long to gather you under my wings as a mother mother hen does her chicks. He longed. He said, but you would not. Therefore, 
there, and that therefore is a scary, that's a scary therefore. I wanted to bring you in, but you would not. You would not. You would not please God. You would only please yourself. He says, and therefore, the destruction is coming. AD 70, Titus Aspasian, the Roman legions came and they decimated Jerusalem. Man, woman, and child, there's like, I think it was like 200,000, or it, I think it was actually during a holiday season, so it might have been upwards of 800,000 to a million if, because the, the, the population swells uh, during those times. It's like, just think of all that carnage, all that anger, because they didn't recognize the Messiah when he came. They rejected the Messiah, they rejected God. They live lives to please themselves and not pleasing God. And the result is the empty cup, the cracked cup, that there's nothing there. And the only thing, the only expectation is a fearful expectation of judgment. That's all I had. I knew I was dead inside. I knew there was nothing. And I, I, I was afraid of death. I was terrified of death. So in 9 and 10, he, he's just basically saying, hey, guys, but you know what? You are loving one another. He said, you are loving one you know, I, I look out here. There's a lot of very loving people here. He says, you are loving one another. And, and, and if, if that rejecting God and, and if that self-pity and if, that this, if that's not describing you, then this is Paul's exhortation to you. He says, you're loving? Well, good. Good job. He says, but now love more, abound more, overflow more, more and more. Increase, increase, increase. Go higher, go further, go deeper. Know the depth, the height, the width of God's love in your life and let it flow out of you until it reaches every man, woman, and child that you have influence over. If that's you, and I know a lot of you that this is you, I would just say, guys, we got to go deeper. We have to look beyond population me. We have to get beyond that because our culture is built on population me. All of the radio advertisements, all of the TV commercials, everything, everything is about entertain me, make me happy, make me fulfilled, you know, do what I want. And you know, there was somebody else in history, time past, who desired to fill me, give me. I want more. I will, I will, I will, I will. Do you know who it was? Lucifer, the anointed cherub of God who walked in the presence of the Almighty. He's the highest of the angels. He is the highest of the angels, clothed in glory and splendor. All beauty was his. And he said, I will, I will. He wasn't satisfied with pleasing God. He wanted it upon himself. And he fell and he became Satan. He was Lucifer, the shining one. But he fell and became Satan, the accuser of the brethren. And the Bible says that the world is under the sway of the devil. What's the devil's mantra? Me, me. Me, me. What, what is the very course of sin nature within us? It, it happens to start when they're like one years old. It starts, me, mine, 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 mine. <laughs> Those of you who have small children know exactly what I'm talking about, probably more so. Those of you who have older children, you remember it. Me, 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 mine, mine, mine. Go team, right? That, that, that. That's the mantra. And guess what? When that, that thing, when that comes up within us, guess what? That's Satan. 
That's his will. That's his influence. That's his sway. That's the sin nature within us. And, you know, sometimes we think, oh, no, 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 no. You know, I love the Lord, but, you know, but I just really want this. No, no, that's his heart. That's his heart. God's heart is that we take up our cross, we deny ourselves daily, and we follow him. God's heart is that we not desire and demand to be served, but that we serve. And, I, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. Remember this. Jesus washed Judas' feet. The very one who would betray him. The very one who was a hater of all these things, and he was stealing from the money. You know, even though he, you know, he was of the guys who were sent out, he was casting out demons. He was healing people. Right? He was part of the ministry. He sat at Jesus' right hand at the table. That's the place of honor. And Jesus washed his feet knowing that Judas was going to betray him unto death and the cross. So you think, you know what? I will love these people, but not her. I will love these people, but not him. Guess what? That's Satan. Jesus washed Judas Iscariot's feet and said, I have given you an example for I am your master and you are my servants and you are not above me. Do what as I have done. That's heavy, huh? This Christmas, I beg and I exhort you guys. And this is to me too. I'm speaking right back at myself. Let's live a life that pleases God. Let's stop. Let's, it's time to look up from ourselves and it's time to look out. And it's, be, it's that we need to start pouring into other people. We need to lift up other people's needs, other people's wants, the things that they're lacking, let's provide. Let's get beyond ourselves this Christmas and please God. Lord Jesus, you have given us everything, Lord. And we love you, Lord, and it is our desire to please you, to be pleasing to you. So, Lord, I pray that you would convict each one of our hearts, Lord, that you would search our hearts, Lord, search my heart. And in any area, Lord, that I may be holding on to, Lord, that I may just be walking in selfishness or covetousness or discontentment, Lord, I pray that you would reveal it to me, Lord, that you would open my eyes to it. Lord, that I might repent of it and that we may walk pleasing to you, loving others more than we love ourselves, serving even those who hate us and spitefully use us. Let us serve not for them and for what we will get from them, Lord, but let us serve them as unto you, as though we were washing your feet. So, Lord, we give our hearts to you this day. And we pray for your blessings upon our lives, Lord. And we pray that you would just meet us, Lord. And sometimes the, the most painful wounds, Lord, are the greatest acts of love. And so we, we ask, Lord, if you have to hurt us, if you have to hurt our feelings, Lord, if you have to break our hearts in order for us to go forward with you, then, Lord, cut away. Lord, if you have to extract something from us, Lord, I pray that you would cut. Cut deep, Lord. Remove it all, Lord, that we may be free from it. And that we may go forward in you, being free to live, to love. And may your joy, your fullness, be the result. In your name we pray, Jesus.
Amen. Amen. Isn't that an incredible word? Gosh. I sit there just like reading these things. Like, you know, and like I told you guys, you know, the Lord paints a sunset for me, and I'm just trying to explain it. I would encourage each of you to take this text. Start at, at the very end of chapter 13 and go through verse 12 or verse 11 um, on your own. And let God paint the sunset for you. Because it's, it's hard, you know, like if we're all sitting in this room and I'm out there and there's a gorgeous sunset out there and I could be yelling in, it's turning gold, it's turning red, it's turning pink. Oh, you should see it, the blue, the teal, it's amazing. And you're in here looking at a black thing going, trying to imagine it. Oh, I bet that's beautiful. That sounds great. Well, this morning, I'm calling to you from out there painting a sunset for you. Guys, it's this, it's this, it's this. But you know what? The Lord wants to show you the sunset himself. He'll say, come on. And he'll walk you out there and he'll point and say, look. Look at the colors. Look at what I've done. Look at the clouds. Look how they're here. Feel the cool breeze. Can you smell that scent that's in the air right now? And if you will take it, if you will take these words, if you will take his word and you will look into it and you'll just pray through it and let God minister to you, he'll show you the sunset that I'm trying to describe this morning. So be blessed. Be blessed. And above all, abound in his love. God bless, guys.